Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Okay, this is part two to the two-part interview with Dave. Um, so if you haven't listened to part one yet, you want to go back to part one of Interview with Dave. This is part two. So stoked you guys get to hear the rest of this. Enjoy. Yeah, so I don't know. Just really got this passion about how do I learn to minister to the Lord so that I can get a download of his plans. Mm. So. I love that. Oh. So now I know you talk about family, temple, kingdom. Yeah. Can you maybe go back over that a little bit and just kind of unpack it a bit? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, this is like, I'm, I'm, I'm still really going after this, but I mean, what I, what I look, what I see in scripture is, okay, <sighs> temple and family are funny things because their their place there's a lot of overlap in scripture and and let me unpack that a little bit genesis 1 is written very much in the model of something called the temple inauguration text and there are lots of ancient examples of very similar pieces of document and what a lot of uh clever agnostic or atheist professors have done and said hey yeah here's here's proof that that genesis just simply borrowed from other ancient documents and it's not at all the case what the case is that the lord who is the author of scripture used something people would have been familiar with to bring a revelation about himself he still does it now this should not be a new idea to us how many things that he uses you know i think about your spirits in the cinema you know, obviously, you know, we're not talking it's scripture or canon, clearly, but how you have these natural things that reveal God's heart to you. And so I think God inspired somebody to use um, a temple inauguration text format to as, as a revelation of who he is and as a theological rebuttal to all the lies that the enemy was telling the people in the ancient Near East. And it wasn't borrowing at all. It was him anointing something that people would get they would have gotten the structure and so what i see from genesis 1 is something a little different than what people a lot of people see um, is that it is really about god creating a context to dwell with men every you think about all the stages of creation they were all setting a context with us in mind all of it was getting things ready for us so that he could dwell with us and then he comes in and he says, let us make man in our image. And see, I think this is the real agenda behind the whole thing. I got it ready. He initiated giving a place ready. Again, it wasn't us. Mm -hmm. And then he takes and he puts the man in the garden. He puts the man in the garden. He even talks about the geographical location of it and, and how he puts. And then he gives the man a job. And it's really interesting. 
to tend it and keep it. Those words are used constantly of the priests tending and keeping the temple. That word choice is used exactly of the priests and the temple. Mm. And so he creates man in this. And then, and then the first big revelation he, that he gives, you know, that for us all to see, you know, besides tend it and keep it, is it's not good for man to be alone. So the very first two structures that we see are family and temple. You know, it's, he creates a temple so that people could come and dwell with him. You know, and so then the fall happens. And so what does he do? Who's the next major character? You know, he redeems a family through the flood. But then the, the, who does the, Genesis, when we think about Genesis, who's, who's like the, the big pickup character? It's Abraham. Mm. So he starts with a family. And he puts destiny on this man. Destiny that's about blessing nations. One guy. And then, again, I want to preach the whole Bible. This is just the problem I have. It's like, and then what he does is he waits until this man cannot fulfill this call in the natural and I don't think we realize how often he opposes our natural abilities to accomplish kingdom because he wants to do it through us. He wants to do it. You know? And we're so convinced of our ability to bring this thing about. And so, <laughs> and so, ah, I know, right? And so, but I find it so interesting, the emphasis from there on is just all of this man's ability to screw things up. <laughs> it's a whole story about his ability to mess junk up. You know, he produces Ishmael. We're still paying for Ishmael, <laughs> you know. And he, he, he allows his wife to be used by other men twice because of fear of man. It's not, you know, and he's, you know, such, he's a, the man of faith, you know. He's like Father Abraham and... And yet we forget that he really screwed up a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, we get Isaac and, and then we get Jacob and Esau. And we know what an incredible story that was. So we've got a litany of fairly bad husbanding and fairly bad fathering. Yeah. And then we get Jacob's sons and we all know where that goes, Joseph. And, but what I find compelling about the story of Joseph is that the whole last part of Genesis is about the redemption of one family and how the nations get saved because of it. Mm. You know, it's about the reconciliation of Joseph and his brothers and the healing of his dad's heart and all these things. Mm. And a significant amount of Genesis is spent on that. So I find that really compelling stuff and so again the structure that we're invited into is, is family and God starts off with this revelation of family and uh, I don't know where you want to go with this but like one of the things that is has really been again eating my lunch lately is the, the specificity of the, the design of the tabernacle you know the mobile tent worship place and we're that living tabernacle now. And I'm wondering how much of the, the specificity of the design of the tabernacle is more about how we disciple people. How so? Well, that's what I'm unpacking still. It's like, it's like 
the context again, just like echoing the garden, is about creating a context to be intimate. And it was always at the center of the community. And it was always carried on the shoulders of the priests to create a context by which God would dwell in the midst of his people. And it, and that is, I think, the revelation of how he wants to build us. Like that we are first and foremost a temple being built into a context to host the presence of God in the middle of the community. It's not about all the stuff we go out and do for him. It's about hosting his presence first and then going out from there. Mm. So in the context of family, yeah. you belong, you have identity from your dad. Yeah. From there, we go from family to tabernacle, temple. Yeah. Where we minister to the Lord. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And then from there, you have this authority and this assignment and you go out from there to subdue the world. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, roughly, I'm still unpacking a lot of this, but, okay. I, but I tell you, th- this is where we get into like, the fact that you have all these root words that have to do with uh, the people, the assembly, mustering of, of military, and, and, and there's different Hebrew words. And when it was translated into the Greek in the Septuagint, we, the word that got picked as being the most common word is synagogue, you know, where we get the word synagogue. And that was kind of the go-to word for several root Hebrew words. Mm. And that was the word, you know, and so you had the synagogue. And the synagogue, once again, was was about the people, not about the place, mm. you know. But it was so linked with the place that it, it was, it was it, I think, at, out of honesty, it would have been hard to extricate the word synagogue from, from a place, not just the people. But the idea is that, you know, the, the Bet Knesset would have been the house of assembly and and the people would have gathered there. Yeah. Well, then Jesus comes along and uses this word that's this overtly Greek word that the Romans had hijacked. He says, um, <laughs> he says, you know, if truly flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, you know, but my Father in heaven. And he goes, and on this rock I will build my ecclesia. And I don't know how the guys reacted. Doesn't say. But I said, wait, did you mean synagogue? No, I meant ecclesia. Wait, this is the language of the oppressor that you just picked. Because the ecclesia were the governing body in Athens. It was how they made decisions in Athens. They They were the ones who basically decided how the city would run. And then the Romans hijacked the term and taking the same idea about, are you ready for this? They would stand around the emperor, listening to what the emperor said, recording what the emperor said, and made sure that it was accomplished throughout the empire. Right? Right? And so he's using the language of Rome to redefine their job description. And then out of this, and so like, so it's only used twice in the Gospels, Ecclesia. It's used 23 times in the book of Acts. And Paul just blows it up. He uses it exclusively, this this idea. And, you know, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he's he's running with secular terminology at this point. We don't get this because only the church uses it now. You know, 
But, the you know, N.T. Wright has a book called Simply Good News, which I think everybody should read. But he unpacks even the word gospel. You know, Julius Caesar gets assassinated, and Octavian, his son, uh, and Mark Anthony get in a civil war, and it goes back and forth, and people were definitely polarized on this, and Octavian wins because of a famous naval battle, and people proclaimed throughout the kingdom the good news, the gospel, that Octavian had won. And everybody in Jesus' time would have known this reference. And, and, and how Wright unpacks it in a way I think is really great. It was a present tense reality with a future promise and then a job to be done in the middle. And so the present tense reality is the king is one. The future reality is he was going to establish peace for the realm. But in the middle, there's a lot of cleanup work to be done. Jesus is using this absolutely on purpose. And Paul grabs it and he says, you know, and this is, you know, where I just, my brain gets blown because the apostle, the apostolus would have been the was used of an admiral who would bring a whole fleet in to actually change communities, to bring civilization to communities. It could also be used as for the word for a passport. The passport itself was the apostolos. So it could refer to your, your right to travel to different places. And it was also used um, as an ambassador who comes, again, to proclaim the good news. So, so picture this. You've got, <laughs> you've got Jesus using all these terms. So Paul gets this download and he's like, good news. The king of kings has won the battle with all other ruling forces. And as his apostolos, as his ambassador, as his spokesman, I'm I'm proclaiming the good news to you that he's won. Now, you've got to get on the right side of that good news. You know, you've got to pick a side, and that's called repentance. You've got to repent, come over to the right side. And then we're going to establish the ecclesia, which are the decision-making body to make sure that that community is ready to host the king when he comes. Now, imagine if we discipled our people with this, you know, because here's the difference between what, what the Pax Romana and the Pax Christi, the peace of Rome and the peace of Christ looks like, is that when our king shows up, he goes, guess what? I'm going to adopt all of you and everything I have is yours. You get to have it all. You're not my servants. You're my kids. And you get everything I have. Okay. It's going to switch evangelism a lot. Because we are part of a better kingdom. Right. We are sons and daughters. Wow. You're either born again into it, you're adopted into it, or you marry into it. No membership. You're part or you're not. You're grafted in or you're not. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So what... <laughs> Okay, I get that you're still processing some of this and working yes. through it and all that. I'm curious, just with what you've thought so far. Yeah. With where we're at in the, with the church today, okay. what our normal, commonly accepted model is. Yeah. Do you have any idea, any opinion or commentary on what you think steps moving forward should be with where we're at now? How do we, how do we reform? How do we respond to this in a way that's going to be constructive and beneficial and actually like you know, move toward what this was supposed to be. 
Okay, I, I see lots of different models all over the world. Um, I've seen churches that go to like having a heavy cell group emphasis. Um, is what Francis Chan did, where he just walked away from it all, which is kind of dramatic. Um, there's a lot of things that, that we call parachurch that I think are doing it organically because they never thought of the container. By the way, there's no such thing as parachurch. Para means along or outside of. If you're outside the church, you're not a believer. So you <laughs> either you are, again, you're either a son or a daughter or you're not. The container is not what defines it. Wow. So I just, I don't believe in the idea of parachurch. Wow. I do believe in the idea of fellowship, accountability, relationship. People have to be able to speak into your life. People have to be able to confront you based on the word. That's fully biblical. Mm. And there is leadership in the Bible. I have no problem with that. So, But anyway, coming back to your question, um, I think that it, it really honestly starts with the people who are walking in th- authority right now deciding whether they're going to buy into this or not. Mm. Because it's a value system. Mm. It's not actually a container problem. Because when your values shift, you have to ask really hard questions. Am I producing sons and daughters? Am I producing people who minister to the Lord as their first and most passionate priority? But Dave, yeah, yeah. producing sons and daughters yeah. takes work. It takes time. Right. How many can you produce before it's like too many? Well, that's, that's a question people are going to have to wrestle with. I personally made a conscious decision to stay small. I made a decision. None then. Because I wanted to make sure that I could look people in the eyes and not just know their name but know their story. I have had a heart-to-heart conversation with every person I work with. Not just one, but many. And that's not how great Dave is. It's just a value that I have that I I need to know you and you need to know me. And I'm not a big believer in professional boundaries. If I'm going to ask you to risk your heart, I got to risk my heart. So they, they get to see my feelings too, because they can learn just as much from my insecurities as they can from this big personality that is Dave. Wow. So what would you say to people who are, let's say we're talking to a pastor who's like, over a 500 member church. Yeah. It's got all these people, right? Yeah. Which isn't huge, but it's not tiny. Yeah. Like, you're saying he needs to first, or he or she, whoever they are, needs to first change their value system in terms of what they think success looks like. Is that right? I I wouldn't word it that way. How would you word it? I would probably paint the picture I just painted for you. It's just from scripture. Yeah. Use scripture, a little bit of history, and ask them a question do you feel like you're producing sons and daughters? Do you feel you are? And if a guy says, I think so, then I'm going to be like, well, that, great, fine. And I'm going to let them wrestle that through. Because if I planted the seeds, let, okay, let, let's allow for the possibility that I'm dead wrong in everything I just said. <laughs> then Holy Spirit's going to be like, those words need to fall by the wayside. And you need to not listen to this Dave guy. But if they are actually God, then the Holy Spirit's going to bear witness to it. And the Holy Spirit's going to trouble them. Right. And the Holy Spirit's going to be like, are you producing sons and daughters? And Holy Spirit, remember, there's one shepherd, the rest of us are sheep. You know, and he is more in love with his bride than I am. He is more in love with his sons and daughters than I am. 
and he wants more sons and daughters because love wants more to love. And he'll trouble them. He will trouble And you know what? They start asking the questions. They will wrestle through with the Lord what they're supposed to do. It would be arrogant of me to tell people what they need to do with this. Okay. I'm literally like taking notes right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here on my phone just typing away. Yeah. He's <laughs> talking to himself. Yeah. <laughs> there is one shepherd. And the rest of us are sheep. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> when you picked me up from the airport, we were driving into Tokyo. Yeah. You made the comment about um, we were talking about the word fasting. Yeah. And I forget what you referenced. We were talking about Mark eight thirty four. You know, if any man would you know come wants to me. come after me, he's got to deny yeah. himself, take up his cross, and follow. I'd take up his cross. I said, take up his crust. <laughs> I think pizza is an important part yeah. of this revelation. I just realized I never responded to your pizza message. Yeah, so we could talk about it later. <laughs> okay. One of the podcasts. Right <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> take up his crust and follow Take up his crust. And then, because we all know that sausage backwards is GSS. <laughs> oh my God. Too far. <laughs> Too far. Um, okay. Deny yourself, that word is closely related to the idea of fasting. And so it's like the idea is we need, if anyone wants to come after him, he's got to fast himself. Oh, my God. And remember what fasting is. Fasting is saying no to your I wants. We're not trying to get God to do something. You know, we're trying to position our hearts so that we can do something, so that we can yield and respond and so wow. fasting yourself is basically saying, I don't have a right to me anymore. I don't have a right to my I want anymore. Wow. And then we take up our cross, which, what was the cross for? To kill you. Yes, to kill you. Whole, and then follow. Well, um, excuse me, Lord. If I'm dead, how do I follow? He said, yeah, you can't follow in your own strength, can you? You need resurrection power. You gotta walk in resurrection. And that that you can't fake that. You can't you can't have a theology of resurrection power. You have to actually have a revelation of resurrection power. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I had a dream when I was nineteen that has troubled me all of my days. In the dream I was in old Jerusalem. And I come into a, a like what looked like a village, not a village, but a city square. And there were a bunch of my friends were crucified, but they were nailed to this wall. They weren't on crosses. They were nailed to this wall, oh but they were stretched out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys, what's going on? And they said, we're being crucified with Christ. And, you know, we're dying to ourselves right now. You should come join us. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I walk over and there's this table. And it had two different sets of nails on it. And one of them, they looked like railroad ties. And the other one looked like super sharp knitting needles. And the guy, the salesman, he says to me, you got to choose your nails. I'm like, okay, can you explain the benefits, I guess, of these different styles of nails? What are the features? Right, right. He's, he's like, well, these big thick ones... They uh, this is your dream, yeah. It's the dream, it's okay. a real dream because the big thick ones they, they hurt like mug going in, but they support your weight pretty well. 
<laughs> and then the, the skinny ones, they go in real easy, but they're really thin, and so they kind of hurt when you're hanging there for a while. Oh and yeah, and in, it's in, in the dream, I'm like, both these options suck. And I ran away. I ran away. And then I come back, and they're all my friends. They're walking around, and they're glowing. They're clothed in white. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. How did this happen? You guys were crucified. Yeah, but but now we've been resurrected and we're walking in resurrection power. And I remember in the dream thinking, why did I not just do it? And then I woke up. Oh, wow. That is troubling. That's a troubling dream. Because the Lord was like, we're always looking for a painful way to die. A painless, I'm sorry. A painless way to die to self. And the reality is, you pick your nails, it's going to hurt either way. Jesus did not come to save our life. He didn't come to fix our boat, you know, take our poor little beat up boat, patch it up, send us out to sea. Came to sink our boat, give us a new boat. <laughs> right, wow. Yeah. But you think about the things we're called to, we're called to love radically. And you cannot love radically in the flesh. You cannot do it. Think about what you're walking in. You can't do what you do in your flesh. You just can't. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Wow. My goodness. You told me something back in, when I was in DTS that still, I mean, I, I was like, that's true, even though it was a little bit troublesome. <laughs> then you said affection for God is more important than good theology. Yeah. Still true? Yeah. More so than ever. You know, and it's not that we want sloppy theology. That's not the point of that statement. But we will put our faith in our theology instead of putting our faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, we don't get in heaven based on a theology exam. Although I'd really love it if you did actually do a debrief, you know. It's like, all right, the Presbyterians had it right here. <laughs> Believe it or not, the Catholics were super right here. Pentecostals, you guys were so out to lunch on this. You know? <laughs> All right, now on to cryptozoology. Bigfoot, real! <laughs> nice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then you also say this other thing that I don't want to talk about, but I'm going to anyway. Hmm. You say, oh gosh, Dave, I hate this. Every time you say it, I hate it, and I, like, I think I wince and moan. And you say, um, the older you get, the weaker you get. Yeah, and you love it or something. No, I, I don't know that I love it, but it's just a fact. The older I get, the weaker I get. I, I have this... And you're not talking about physical strength. You're talking about... Well, I'm weaker in, in my resolve... Not resolve, the wrong... I don't know how to put exact words to it. I just had this image of... I was going to be so strong and robust in the spirit. And I'm not. I'm just more dependent. He's my dad and I'm a child. And children aren't known for their strength. They're known for staying close to their parents. And to me, that's the gig. How do I stay close to my dad? Because my dad's big. My dad actually is bigger than your dad. <laughs> and my dad isn't this skinny white guy with a British accent. You know, he's, he's the carpenter. He's this beautiful warrior who, who really is the king of all kings and invites me onto his lap, kisses me on the face. Ah, 
So if you think about, we're probably gonna wrap up soon, but if you think about um, looking at the church today, your average Christian, yeah, you know, like not talking about necessarily on the mission field, but just like people going to church and they're Christians and they're not the like I just do it on Sundays or like like sincere Sunday. people, genuinely yeah, like right. I'm, I'm a Christian, I love I love Jesus, but they're also handed these structures or models or expectations that are which has been true of all of us. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> You're saying they start with. They all would do well to start with learning how to minister unto the Lord. Yeah. Well, no, they would all do well by first establishing, getting rocks all, I'm, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, mm-hmm. I have access. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we don't get that, then you can't actually start ministering right, to right. the Lord. Right, right, totally. Yeah. Okay. So the identity's in place. I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I have access. Yeah. I belong here, this is right. Yeah, I can insist on being here. Mm. Okay. And that's not arrogance. It's not arrogant when my daughter demands to sit on my lap. My son, one time, had just totally hacked me off. I was so mad. (laughs) I was like, dude, sometimes, I don't mean it, sometimes I just want to kill you. And all of a sudden, you said that to him. I did, I did, totally. Yeah, I don't endorse this position, but I did say it. And you know, you know what Reese said? All of a sudden, he grinned. He grinned. Oh, and I was mad. Oh, this was like four years ago. <laughs> he was like 16, 17 years old. And, and like, I, <laughs> and he grins and he goes, but you won't because you love me. That was his response right at that moment. And I said, you're right, I do. And he goes, hug me. And he wanted a hug right there at that moment. Because sons have that right. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine ministering to the Lord with that level of an anchor, that surety. Wow. How could you not minister at that level? Right. How could you not care about his heart? Wow. Okay, so they know who they are. Their yeah. son, their daughter. They get to insist on intimacy with the Lord. Right. And then from that place, they minister to the Lord. Right. In the secret place. Yeah. In the assembly of the believers, they are ministering yes. to God. Praising Him. They respond in worship when He moves. They, they respond in intercession because now you draw near and He whispers the secrets of His heart and say, I'm so burdened for this. Will you carry this with me? It becomes the honor to carry his heart, to participate in the ministry of Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father and ever lives to make intercession for us. And we get to be part of that. For those of you listening, Mike is shaking his head and grimacing at me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's true. Ah. And then from that place of ministering unto the Lord in the, the secret place, in their own intimacy with the Father, yeah. then they go out. Yes. And they establish the kingdom. They establish the kingdom. They become governmental authority in their communities to get ready as a habitation for the coming king. They proclaim the good news. I, I want to go back to the whole thing. Like Herod, king, you know, King Herod, was on the wrong side of the good news when Octavian won. He was for Mark Antony. Now what do you do? Now what do you do? 
he went straight to Octavian and said, you know, I'd like you to not remember who I supported before. I would like you to remember how I supported them. And I will support you in the same way. That's called repentance. Wow. You know. And so when you when you paint a picture of the king has won, that is settled. Right. The king has won. You're on the right side of this kingdom, you're on the wrong side of this kingdom. Wow. But his desire is to give you the kingdom. He wants to adopt you. But you're on the wrong side of the kingdom, so you do need to repent. But come into sonship. He's got everything for you, which isn't the same as come to Jesus, he'll make your life better. <laughs> it's no, you gotta die. Hey, which nails would you like? Yeah, would you pick your nails? <laughs> Join the family. Yeah, all right. <laughs> your sign here. Here's your membership card. No, that's <laughs> right. Uh... Wow. Yeah. Dang. And think about all the adventure movies we like. Think about Lord of the Rings. Think about the things that move our heart, because they're all approximations of the story we're actually invited into. Right. But we don't need to escape reality to do the real one. Mm. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Dave, what do you say to someone who's listening to this podcast episode and they're like, well, cuss word, what do I do when I go to church? How well, do I sit there in the pew facing the same direction as everyone else listening to the professional Christian? What am I supposed to do with this without going crazy, getting upset, being critical? Okay, can, I, can I use your line? Okay. You gotta, you gotta follow the Spirit. Oh, I'll punch you in the throat. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta follow the Holy Spirit. I tell you what you need to not do. You need to not like start figuring out, wow, now I've got this revelation and so and now I have a theological right to criticize everything right. about this. Right. You go there. God will always honor submission. He will never honor rebellion. Mm-hmm. And this could so easily move somebody into dishonor mm-hmm. and rebellion and arrogance mm-hmm. and the fruit of that will be crap. You will not produce sons and daughters. You won't. <laughs> The fruit of that will be crap. crap yes, it will. <laughs> you know, you, sons and daughters, um, they honor the king. Mm. And so it really is, if you think about it, it's actually what are you going to do about it? Not what is your church going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And what if it starts with you as a son or daughter ministering to the Lord and you become the conduit for heaven in your body? Wow. What if, what if that's your job? Wow. Keep in mind, our model is Jesus. When's the last time you saw him step into church and go, all right, everybody out of the pool. Lights flicking on and off, okay? You know, it's like, dance is over, folks. This is not what I designed, and I'm here to defend my own reputation, and let's sort out this model. When has he ever done that? Mm. No, he, he actually shows up because he loves his bride. Mm. He loves his people. Mm. And he is not kicking pastors out of the pulpit and judging them. Wow. He loves them because they're sons and daughters. If the revelation is sons and daughters, he wants them to get it. He doesn't want to punish them for it. He's just calling us higher, deeper, further up and further in. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. Thanks for being on this. So fun. Listen, before we close this one, to just give you this one like last little jump off a diving board here. Thanks. That sounds dramatic. Um, as a man who's devoted his life to mission, missions and the ministry and preaching the gospel and discipling people and establishing the kingdom, yeah. what is 
a, something you'd like to say to these people whom you may never meet and who may never actually see you, but what is something you'd want to say to them from your life to theirs? Like, uh, I think trading our old life for religion is a bad trade. You know, we've been invited into a really dynamic interaction with our Father. And we've been invited to advance his kingdom on the earth until his actual return where he will finalize things. And uh, it's supposed to be fun. It's not obligation. It's, it's fun to destroy the works of the devil. It's, it's really fun to kick Satan in the teeth and take back what he stole. Because he's a punk and he's smaller than us. And when we realize that the God who measures the universe by the span of his hands lives inside of us, that do you think there's any way that the enemy could ever actually overcome us? He really meant it when he said, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Massively greater. There's no cosmic battle going on in heaven right now. Satan is a chump who's been defeated well and thoroughly. This is all guerrilla warfare. And we win. So enjoy it. But the funny thing is, the way you enjoy it first is by enjoying God and enjoying people. Love God, love people. That's how Jesus boiled it down. Fall. You know, you want to experience the deepest warfare of your life? Commit your heart falling desperately in love with the Lord. Make an action plan to fall in love with the Lord. And then make an action plan to love people on purpose. Oh man, I love that man. So good. Um, thank you guys for listening, if you got this far. One thing I want to throw out, just to let you guys know, because I don't think a lot of people realize this. Um, myself, and then just what we're doing here at NUMA, if you have a church or community or whatever that would love for me to come and train or just to be taught on discerning of spirits or spiritual intelligence or what have you, um, we are open and willing to travel and you know work with people in other areas. We definitely know people are interested in this content. Um, so if that's something you guys care about and want or have interest in, please feel free to email us at contact at mikemayashiro.com with invite in the email or sorry in the subject line, and my team will get back to you and just we'll work out you know what needs to happen for that to be a thing. But if that's something you're interested in, we'd love to do that. We especially. I think one of the favorite things people have me come teach on is a discerning spirits workshop, you know, wherever we are. So know that. Thank you guys again for listening. Um, if you want to give a five-star review to this podcast, that'd be super appreciated. Please only authentic ones, but if that's there, we'd love it. Um, also subscribe to the podcast. All right, we'll see you next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.